Welcome to Wrestling and Everything Coast to Coast with your host, Buddy Sotelo Esquire, Evan Ginsberg, and Mike Leno. Mike Leno, do you want to introduce our special guest for tonight? Yeah, I brought uh, a guy we've not had on uh, since, I don't know, what has it been, Dave? It's been like 20 years since uh, Evan and I had you on Legends. But we talk about uh, entrepreneurs, young man I met a jillion years ago in Chicago. He has captured the wrestling world, doing so many things. Obviously, you know him from Shimmer. Uh, he has begat so many talents, helped showcase, helped finesse the uh, greatest women wrestlers on the planet. Ring of Honor. I mean, he had a deal with TNA early on in Shimmer, which I believe was, I, I, well, he can tell us it was established in 2005, 2007. But last weekend, I mean, this was the big wrestling story of the week. Uh, Busted Open opened with it. They said it was the biggest wrestling story. Game Changer Wrestling last weekend, and he did the play-by-play -play, uh, where uh, Nick Gage, who we saw, of course, Wednesday against Jericho, a lot about that we'll talk about, uh, lost his championship, the world heavyweight. I don't know if it's called the Gore or uh, uh, just, the just the GCW world title. Yeah. All right. <laughs> the wall question, particularly about women. I want to a ask if you've been watching women's gymnastics, even with the Simone Biles thing, and that helped propel uh, the young lady from Minnesota to uh, become gold medalist, which is you know now we have five in a row female gold medalists from the U.S. But I was thinking I'd ask Dave uh, Prezak is obviously our guest. Everybody knows him in the wrestling world globally. And oh, Dave, everybody. Of course. I'm, I'm a huge celebrity. <laughs> well, you have fans. You have fans. I'm one of them, definitely. A, I want to ask, right, cool. watching women's gymnastics and B, I'm relating this to wrestling because I'm thinking of last year, the Kylie Ray situation and Impact taking time off. I don't know if that was, I think it was her second time, not with Impact, but with some other outfit sort of relating it to Simone Biles needing some, you know, not feeling mentally at the top of her game or mental state not equating with her body state to do all this incredible stuff. Uh, do you see a little similarity there? And are, do women athletes in wrestling, uh, do they sometimes have this? Because there's so much pressure on them. I mean, a lot more because of the physical stuff. They have to, you know, look a certain way where guys like you and me can come out there scruffy, no big deal. Uh, but Dave, let me throw it to you on this. Well, I don't, I haven't been watching a lot of the Olympic stuff just time wise, but, um, I've been, I've been up to date on the Simone situation and some of the backlash from an aspect of the audience and the public that disagrees with her choice, her decision to watch out for her own well-being and pull herself out of competition. But I don't think that like and there is there is a correlation between that and and people in wrestling uh, from time to time, but I don't think that it's necessarily a gender related thing. It's not just women. No. Uh, maybe it doesn't happen as frequently with men, but mental your mental state, whether you feel that you can go out there and perform in with all that pressure on you, like I have no idea what kind of pressure is on an Olympic level athlete to d deliver home a gold medal. And if she knows it's in her best interests, health-wise, physically, like she could be in, in the middle of flipping multiple times in midair and just come crashing down and, and destroy her body in the process if she's not in it mentally. Uh, it, it's a mental thing for an athlete like that. It also becomes a physical thing. Only she knows what's best for her. And while maybe in a way it, let down her teammates and let down the United States. I cannot hold it against her one bit for pulling herself out of competition if that's what she felt was best. And the same can be true for any sort of athlete that feels so much pressure that they feel they're going to let down their team or let down their country or what have you. Do we know if you talked to, I don't know if you talked to Kylie Ray because she's come back. I think she was on the She's uh, wrestling for the, I believe she signed a contract with Billy Corgan and the NWA. I haven't talked to her since then. I, honestly, I don't know her situation personally. I, I haven't discussed that with her. I've probably heard what everyone else has. And that's a situation that, again, it's up to an individual to know, and whether it's wrestling, whether it's even sports or just anything in life, 
whether or not you feel that you are prepared to deal with a certain situation that is a lot of pressure. And when you have millions of eyeballs on you that expect you to do well, and if you're just not not in the game for whatever reason, if you need to step away from it, then that's what you have to do. I had one of the wrestlers that I used just on an independent level in front of a couple hundred people made the choice a couple of weeks ago to step away from wrestling for a little while just to get her head in the game. And I just told her, you know, let me know if you decide to come back to wrestling. If you do, there's a spot. But other other than that, I understand. Well, you don't and, have you know, that pressure with this podcast. I'll tell you that. <laughs> you don't have that. I'm going to throw to Evan now, actually, because we'll, of course, be spending a, a brunt talking about Shimmer. But uh, let's switch gears to talk about Nick Gage. Blowing up, obviously, after the uh, dark side of the ring. Not literally. I mean, that could have happened, knowing how violent he can get and everything. But nothing actually blew up. <laughs> but well, yes, yes, I, I, I know what you're you talking about. But it's not, not literally. <laughs> yeah, we heard all the threats from whatever pizza chain advertises on A&E that got all upset that the pizza cutter, I guess their ad either preceded or came after uh, showing one of their guys, it was a round table pizza, something like that. He was using a pizza cutter after Gage had cut up uh, Jericho. Uh, I, I didn't know they were going to go that far with it, but, you know, and it's an art form. It is an art form, as uh, some of us talked to Bully Ray about it. Let me throw to Evan. Ev, let's talk about that in uh, Game Changer Wrestling and, and Gore stuff, because I shot tons of Onita stuff in Japan. When I was almost living there in 1991. But Ev, I wanted to ask you, because it was kind of in your backyard in Jersey, this show last weekend, that sold out, record time, and the crowd was, you know, bananas. They were great. Well, I, I boys had mixed emotions about hardcore wrestling. I appreciate the art of it. And um, at the same time, when it's on an indie show and somebody's absolutely destroying their body for, you know, a $50 payoff, you know, which this is not the case. But uh, in many cases, um, you know, I've had friends collapsed lungs, you know, uh, doing hardcore wrestling, end up in hospitals, needing GoFundMes, you know, uh, to just get back to work, get back to their regular life. So I, I have mixed emotions about the whole thing. And, uh, you know, maybe Dave could address that. It, you know, there is, there is that line between, you know, having a, a rough match and, you know, literally destroying your body. It's yeah. what, what do you, what do you think, Dave? Well, I, I'm probably a different, I'm different than a lot of people around wrestling because one of the first promotions that I worked for was IWA Mid-South, Ian Rotten's promotion down near Louisville, Kentucky, uh, during the late nineties and early two thousands. And he was known for doing a lot of the death match stuff, but he also, would book a car drive down every week from Chicago with myself, Colt Cabana, CM Punk, Ace Steel, you know, all these guys, Chris Hero would be on the shows, BJ Whitmer, Nigel McGuinness. There would be like half the show would be really good technical wrestlers. Yeah. And then maybe not half, I'd say a little bit more actual wrestling and maybe a third of the more hardcore deathmatchy guys and maybe one super crazy violent main event that would have you know the barbed wire and all that stuff involved so because i was around that setting and there was so much negativity associated with ian's shows that it would even come back on on the talent like they'd be telling people like like punk and cabana you will never get a job in wwe or anywhere on television because you're associating yourself with this garbage and i'm like but they're having good matches and he's giving them work every week in an era where there was no longer the weekly territorial wrestling pretty much anywhere else other than there and like OVW. And maybe I think that was toward the tail end of when Les Thatcher was still doing the shows in Cincinnati every week. There was no place that a green independent wrestler could get the same amount of ring time that Ian was providing us at that time. So I was like, you can't hold it against punk or against Cabana or against Nigel or hero for wrestling on the same shows, just because there happened to be some hardcore guys in the main event. So I sort of grew an appreciation for 
the style of it because we got to know those guys. And occasionally you'd have a CM Punk versus Necro Butcher match on a show, or you'd have Madman Pondo and versus Adam Pierce or whatever on a show. Uh, so you'd see that when the circumstances changed, those hardcore guys could wrestle when they wanted to. And maybe here and there, I think maybe Chris hero did one or two matches that involved a light tube or something like that, just to show that he could adapt to that too. So I appreciate it a little bit more than maybe your average person does. And I understand that that's not every wrestling fan's cup of tea. And it's also not every wrestler's cup of tea. Not every wrestler wants to do that style and not everyone in game changer wrestling right now, uh, participates in those crazy matches either. It's pretty much there's there's a lot of guys who will do it from time to time but prefer to just do regular wrestling most of the time. But there's no pressure on someone like young 18-year-old Starboy Charlie who's just a junior heavyweight in the opening matches having really good technical wrestling matches against Jonathan Gresham and people like that. Uh, there's no pressure on him to do hardcore. It's a choice. You know, Nick Gage is someone who's been doing this and that style for over 20 years. And... There is an art to it to do that style, give the fans what they want to see, but also protect yourself and protect your opponent in the process. And if that's the style that he chooses to do, so be it. I'm not going to stand in his way. And obviously doing that style led to him main eventing against Chris Jericho on TNT this past week. So... I can't hold that against him. And and for one match anyway, the former Zack Ryder, Matt Cardona, decided to do that style too. And it put him in the headlines along with Nick Gage in the process. And you know what? At the end of the day, neither of them were seriously injured. Nobody got put in the hospital. Yeah, they bled. But, you know, they put on a show and did that style of wrestling about as well as you could do that style of wrestling for the audience that wants to see it. So and that's my about the audience because that's what everybody's been talking about. They were way, way, way into it. And, and, you know, you can read online, you know, whether they were garnered into reacting that way negatively, obviously you knew that with the strap change and there was going to be some pissed off people. And, and, you know, tell us about that. Cause the crowd, the little I've seen, uh, I mean, I've shot a lot of these shows. I was the staff photographer, XPW, Rob Black's thing. <laughs> but the weirdest thing, I, very briefly, the weirdest thing I ever shot, it was like top to bottom blood. It was an ECW in November to remember, 94. And like the opener was the Pitbulls and, uh, and Axel and Ian. And they, the, the quadruple juice in the opener. In the go, opener. <laughs> How, go back and look at it if you guys have the tape. And yeah. just like there was a lot of blood on that show. And I go, it just seems like overkill. I mean, I've, I've seen that. But at the at the time, and maybe, and I agree. At certain times, there if if you have more than half the show where people are getting colored, that's overkill. Yes, um, but at the time, ECW was trying to present itself as the alternative. You weren't going to see anything like that on television from WCW or the WWF at the time. So if they want to be the alternative and they wanted to replace, you know, Joel Goodhart's bloodbath shows that preceded ECW in that region, that was the way to do it. Um, but as far as the audience is concerned uh, for the GCW shows, Nick Gage has a very devoted following. They're certainly behind him. And if anybody, if you, it's the whole show is available on Fight, anybody that wants to go and see it. And I think it, I saw at least the main event was posted on YouTube by somebody illegally, probably. So who knows how long it's going to stay up. But if you haven't seen it, do a search on YouTube. And you can probably find Matt Cardona versus Nick Gage. And you can just see in their entrances alone, before they even get to the wrestling part, just how into it the fans are, how they're behind Nick Gage and how they hate the character and everything that former WWE star, the former Zack Ryder, the action figure collector who's not hardcore. You don't belong here. We want to see the hardcore legend kick it, kick your ass. Like, so everybody was really behind Nick Gage and wanted to see Matt Cardona, you know, get his ass kicked. And so it made for a great atmosphere for a wrestling match, whether it was going to be a violent one or not. And what ended up happening at the end uh, when Cardona won the title and how dare you just took, you stole the belts from, from the hardcore icon, Nick Gage. Uh, you know, some of the fans started throwing, throwing their empty beer bottles and water bottles at the ring. It looked, it was like a independent wrestling version of when the, uh, 
when the NWO forms, but up to another level. It wasn't as violent as when, you know, way back when, when people were trying to stab the heels in the territory days or bringing a gun to the matches or anything like that. They were throwing things. Nobody got hurt in the process, thankfully. Like, you never should be throwing anything at the ring anyway. But though it did happen, nobody got injured in the process. None of the wrestlers did. The referee who was still in the ring didn't. Other fans didn't get hit by you know, projectiles being hurled over their heads and hopefully making it to the ring. So it was a memorable atmosphere, that's for sure, that nobody's ever going to forget. Um, it should never happen again, the throwing throwing things at the ring part, uh, which is why uh, a lot of... Uh, How close were you to the ring? Were you at a safe place? We were, I was like against the back wall. Like the production table was against the back wall and we were calling off of monitors. Uh, so, ne- so I was not in harm's way while all of this so was happening. Dick. Dave, I, I wanted to, to ask you about uh, your background with Shimmer because during while you were talking there, you dropped a bunch of names that are all people that I've worked with, uh, even a couple of guys that I managed. I, I managed B.J. Whitmer. I managed uh, 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 Nigel McGinnis when he came to uh, uh, Pro Wrestling Iron uh, uh, many years ago. I think we're talking about 2004 or 2003 back in, in the day. And that's, he, when, uh, that's when, uh, and she used a real name that she wasn't using her APW name, Sarah Del Rey worked the male versus female with Nigel. Yeah, and Sarah Del Rey is someone that I, I actually started my managerial uh, 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 training, the, the bump training. I was in the same, like, she was uh, trained to be a valet, and okay. I was training to be a manager. And so she would always take her, like, practice shots on me. <laughs> and I was I I used to call her Stiff Sarah because You're she was the tackling just, dummy. She ju- exactly, and she was learning how to like like judge distances and stuff. So she would just call off and hit me right in the ear and just knock me flat. And well, like the I, low blows, like which to... she was trying to figure out exactly like what distance, she just clocked me right in the junk, you know. Well, and on, on behalf of everyone in the wrestling industry, I would like to thank you for uh, providing Sarah Del Rey with the opportunity to learn how to make everything look good inside of a wrestling Oh, my ring. God. <laughs> she's, but can you can you back me up on saying that she's one of the nicest people you can work oh, yeah. with? And, Absolutely. And one I, of the I, most I, professional. Uh, yeah, we, f- we formed Shimmer in 2005, and Sarah Del Rey, she was up until... The day that she got signed by WWE in, uh, let me think when it exactly it was. I think it was early, early to mid 2012. Uh, we built the company around her. Like she, she was the first champion that we had before we even had a title. She was in all of our main events. Um, I always knew I could count on her to deliver in like a 20 minute technical wrestling main event. You know, and and technical wrestling, but still laying it in, making everything look look fantastic. Wrestling, I hate to, I hate when people use the term sometimes, but wrestling like the guys do. Like, uh, and thankfully that term's kind of going away because more of the women are wrestling that same style, where it's not as prevalent that you're seeing women looking really really weak in the ring compared to the guys, just because. They're they're learning to work like that, and it, and it helps that Sarah's in the WWE system right now from a training perspective. She's the I believe her term her uh, her title is the director of women's wrestling for WWE, and she's also a coach at the Performance Center. She's a producer there, um, so she's had a hand in all of the women that you've seen like over the past ten years or so in WWE in forming them into the wrestlers that. You know, preparing them at the PC for eventually being brought up to TV and in some cases eventually main eventing a WrestleMania here and there. So, you know, Sarah, she was great in the ring, but she's also been fantastic from just a training standpoint, helping other athletes prepare. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, the list that you have of Shimmer wrestlers, I was going through them and and I've worked with Davina Rose, who is now Bailey and uh, cheerleader Melissa and um, uh, uh, Miss Chief, and um, uh, uh, the, uh, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I've got, there's a bunch of other ladies that I that have come through Northern California and have worked uh, a number of shows up here. And so you really had some of the best time. How were you able to uh, get such great talent to work for you at Shim? Well, 
I mean, during our early years, at least, there weren't very many opportunities for North American female wrestlers to be having a chance to be on an all-female show or where they have the chance to be that opening match wrestler, learn how to do that well, be a mid-card wrestler, be a tag team wrestler, and be in tag team matches against a variety of different tag team opponents I mean, some of these at that time, back like 2005, if you're an indie female wrestler, there wasn't a shimmer around. So it's like you were typically relegated to wrestling the same two or three women that live in your region that happened to be booked by that local independent promotion. They weren't going to fly in talent from across the country or from another country to have a women's match because there wasn't a whole lot of confidence in having a women's match on the show during that period of time. So... I guess we were kind of lucky in the fact that we were able to pretty much handpick who we wanted to use on the indie scene, uh, like diamonds in the rough, find them, bring them to Chicago, give them a platform, you know, produce a DVD series that ring of honor distributed at the time. Uh, so people would actually get to see them and through that other promoters would get to see them. And then they would start getting more bookings on the indies as a result, raise their profile. And eventually some of them would get signed and be on televised companies. So it, it helped that that was, we were kind of a destination for, uh, a destination company to work for, for some of the, independent women during that period of time because they knew that they could use it as a platform. Now today in 2021, the landscape is very different for wrestling. It's not just two companies on TV anymore. You've got five or six different promotions with some sort of television. Um, plus all the streaming services and indies are easily available on, you know, fight and IWTV and stuff like that. So I'm starting to wonder how much a shimmer is necessary these days for some of the newer girls to to get that exposure, but we'll keep chugging along as long as we do serve a purpose in the I mean, overall. So what happened uh, when the pan pandemic hit? Did you take some time off? Obviously, I'm sure you did. And so, uh, back now, full swing, or what's what happened in the last say 16 months? Well, we had we had a weekend of shows scheduled for late March. So as soon as the pandemic hit, um, like once, once everybody went into lockdown, that was like two weeks before our shows were scheduled to happen. So we postponed the shows and, you know, whenever we're able to get back inside of a 300 seat Eagles club and do an independent wrestling show safely with the number of tickets we've already sold, which was, you know, over 200 tickets, uh, you know, we'll, we'll do it. We'll keep you guys informed. And, uh, you know, needless to say, 2020 was not the best year for anybody. No. And uh, we couldn't get into the Eagles Club for 2020. We did do one show. Uh, we were part of a weekend called The Collective in Indianapolis uh, that GCW promoted. But there was five or six different promotions involved in that. It was like a three-day thing, like a mini WrestleMania weekend festival of independent shows at one location. And that was a big enough building in a state that didn't have as strict of requirements uh, as far as indoor gatherings. Indiana is different than Illinois. Um, but it was a big enough building. It was like a 2,000-seat building that we were able to sell 500 tickets to each of those shows and just space out the chairs. We had the, you know, we had distance chairs. We required masks and everything. So we did do one show that was in October of 2020. Um, and that was the last one that we did. And what we're planning to do now is later this year during the fall, we're going to finally get around to running those postponed shows from March at the Berwyn Eagles club. That's probably going to happen during the month of October. And hopefully we'll be back in the swing of things starting with that. But I mean, fingers crossed that, that we don't end up having to go back in any sort of lockdown or have restrictions placed on indoor gatherings as uh, the virus continues to spread. Now, I, I, they, here's one topic that's, that's fresh as today's show, and that is Bray Wyatt. And I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, the WWE releasing Bray Wyatt earlier today. Uh, I, I didn't. I, I saw something about that happening, but I mean that's their choice. Like if they don't if they don't have any ideas for him, then 
let him go somewhere else where someone else might have ideas for him. That's pretty much all I have to say. The weird thing, and I I want to start, Evan, after I ask something quick, is they don't usually toss, uh, you know, every year right after Mania, of course, they fire a lot of people or just, you know, future endeavor them. But this year was odd because it was X amount of main event guys from uh, Braun Strowman and now this thing. So is uh, Mike Rotunda, his father, is he still an agent or employed by WWE in any way? Do any of you guys know? I have no idea. The Candy's son, who you know was a pretty high up there uh, guy, along with it, it's just it, it, the sheer amount of guys, and they weren't just furloughed because you know he's going to get picked up within a week. I'm sure. It seems like they are trying to cut money as in many places as they can. Who knows why? But. They're cutting money and they're le- releasing guys. So yeah, benefit to A and E's. We'll see in the next couple of weeks. I'd be remiss. So before I throw it to Evan, I'd be remiss to not mention you had a very long history as well. I mean, your fingers are in every pot basically around the world uh, with Ring of Honor. Evan knows that because he worked closely with everybody there. Yep. And but now recently, a guy I've known almost as long as Dave Prezak, who's our guest tonight, uh, Court Bowers, MLW. You're well. Tell us what you're doing there. It's pretty exciting. Uh, well, I just joined uh, the MLW office uh, as a producer, and uh, they issued a press release a couple of weeks ago that I will be heading up their women's division. They haven't, like, they've dabbled a little bit in doing women's matches here and there over the years, but never have done it on a regular basis. They haven't, you know, made a concerted effort to have women's wrestling as part of their product regularly. Um, But they want to do that now. They're about to, like during the pandemic, they had a bit of a hiatus as far as uh, their television is concerned. Um, So they just taped uh, about three weeks ago in Philadelphia, uh, the next, the first few episodes of their next season of television um, and wanted to have the women involved in that. So they brought me aboard for that, and we, you know, I brought four Shimmer women in for that taping. We there were two matches that we shot, um, so that'll be a part of the fall season of MLW TV. Um, so it it opens up opportunities for television experience for some women who aren't currently contracted elsewhere, who could certainly use the exposure and uh, you know, raise their stock the same way that I was trying to do that for the performers with Shimmer on a small independent wrestling DVD level, you know, 12 years ago, 15 years ago. I'm trying to provide that same platform for them now with the connections that I currently have. And thankfully MLW's giving us that opportunity. And remember too, when uh, Darkside returns to Vice in September, Court tells me that the I think it's going to be back on Saturdays, the MLW shows, even if they're a little bit older. But hopefully, you and Shimmer will get some PR via that. Ev, uh, let me just say a, a little something about Bray Wyatt. Um, I am not the biggest WWE fan, but I was a big Bray Wyatt fan. I think the guy's tremendous, and I saw him headline Madison Square Garden against John Cena, pins Cena clean in the middle of the ring, places packed, he's totally over. Totally, you know, the fans love the guy, and he's a heel, they love the guy. Okay, then he's main eventing against Roman Reigns. Another great match, okay? The guy's totally over. Next time he's at Madison Square Garden, (laughs) Bray Wyatt's in the opener. And I'm like, what happened? What went wrong? <laughs> I, I, I don't get it. You know, it was beyond me. Beyond me. Then he just kind of disappears. Then they turn him into a cartoon with the fiend. You know, and it's like, you know, wh- why, why throw the baby out with the bathwater? The, the guy was on top of the world, headlining arenas, in the biggest promotion in the world, and they killed him dead. I, I, I don't get it. I just don't get it. And... Um, I just hope he goes somewhere else, makes a ton of money, and you know sets the world on fire. Because the guy's a total package. The guy, he's proven he's proven that over the yeah. years, without a doubt. He's a total package, and and from what I understand, a lot of the character was his idea to begin with, his creation. I saw Mickey James posted something today on her social media that uh, you know they should have they should have announced, instead of saying best wishes on your future and 
you know, your future endeavors. Uh, they should have said, you know, congratulations on coming up with a great idea <laughs> and, uh, to, you know, making a, a character everybody could everybody could relate to or believe in, you know, that sort of thing. But there's, so, there's uh, money, there's money aplenty for Bad Bunny, you know, to wrestle anytime <laughs> he wants, you know, but Bray Wyatt, they don't have, and Braun Strowman, they don't have money for. Well, let me throw this out to Dave, and it bothers me all the time. The um, the fanboys, they were always like, well, he's getting paid a lot of money and he's not doing anything. And I'm kind of like, and I, I'm like, well, is it a creative's job to have him doing something? I, am I, am I yeah. wrong? Well, they're wrong. I've always called creative. <laughs> I've always been creative. <laughs> for, for the most part, I've always liked the idea that. There should be one singular booker who maybe has like two or three advisors around him to sort of either help nurture good ideas or to immediately shut down terrible ones. But it should be one person's vision that is guiding everything. And, you know, I haven't been in the middle of a WWE creative team meeting, but from what what I understand, there's several teams for each brand and there's you know, over a dozen people on each team. And so there's a million people throwing in ideas. And while that can be good because maybe one person has an idea that no one else would think of, it also, it becomes a little bit difficult if there isn't one single vision guiding everything and mapping everything out for over the span of an entire year to book things. That's why, I, in my at least in my opinion, what do I know? I'm just some indie guy. But uh, but if you look at wrestling history, when there's been a single booker that had a certain vision and, and had a plan, a year-long plan for a story between this guy and that guy, and here's how we're, where we're going to lead to and how we're going to get there, and this is what we're going to do and we're going to stick to it, Usually it worked. <laughs> but Dave, Dave so. don't you think there are formatting issues? Because I get to this all the time. Don't you think there's just generally format issues with the way the WWE runs their show with breaking know. for commercials all the time? I mean, 20 that, minutes. It's a require. I mean, that's a, that that that's part of what you have to deal with with just producing television. I mean, you have Cut to take a certain promos, number of breaks. Though. If you're going to interrupt Maybe. something. Interrupt, interrupt a promo. Like, okay, to be honest, the, the, the ideal situation, the ideal situation is you don't have 12 hours of programming every week that you have to worry about. When you only have one show and it's maybe an hour or 90 minutes long, there can be a lot of attention to detail I and agree. making sure that only certain guys are being pushed in a certain way I and agree. that the guys that need to be protected are protected. When you have so much content, there's so little attention to detail that can even be possible because there's so much being cranked out on a regular basis. And when you're doing a three hour show early in the week, you're doing a two hour show later in the week, there's another hour show in the middle. And then there's programming on the network. That's not even broadcast on. That's it's a lot. Don't forget and, your, your five to seven hour pay-per-views now, or your two day in a row pay-per-views yeah. like they did with WrestleMania. You know, I, I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine being in charge of a company or even just being on the team of a company that's doing that much content, and and you you need to you need to at least try to make it all good, because I'm, it's very. If you're focusing on one show, okay, a lot easier. I'll, I'll tell you guys something you may not know. Um, my wife's Korean. I went with her to Korea right before the pandemic. I'm in the hotel room. And they have tons of WWE programming. And I'm watching it. And it was interesting to me because they would have long blocks of commercials and not interrupt the matches. They would have five or six minutes of commercials before the match, then let the match run in its entirety, then follow it with a long block of commercials. And it was just better TV because when, when you cut into a commercial, you cut into a match with seven commercials for laundry detergent and dog food and everything else. By the time you get back to that match, you're out of it already. Yeah. 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 I mean, when you cut into the match, like you're using a pizza cutter and then go to split screen and then Domino's pizza ad right next yeah. to Nick Gage cutting yeah. the guy with the pizza cutter. Yeah. You could lose sponsors with that too. <laughs> so let me get into what I was going to ask that. you about Nick Gage. So he loses his strap. Uh, upsets his fans there in Jersey, 
But now he goes to AEW. Do you do you think he might feel even for a day or two some backlash? Oh, look at Nick Gage, corporate Nick Gage. He's in the main event against Jericho. I don't think so. I, I think that his fan base are dedicated enough to him that they just think, look, Nick Gage made it to TV. He wrestled Chris Jericho on TV. He did his hardcore stuff on TV for the first time. We saw that kind of a thing on national television. And good for Nick Gage. He got a payday. It should be. I, I don't. I don't. I don't think his fans are going to turn on him. No. So what happens next now? What What do you see going on, or what angles were laid? What are some of the other talent that we should know about in uh, in GCW? Well, uh, coming up, there, there's a sh- there's a show this coming weekend in Los Angeles. I'm not going to be at that one. They're doing Vegas in two weeks after that. Uh, and then early September, uh, All Out Weekend, AEW is running in Chicago. Uh, and needless to say, because there's so many wrestling fans making the trip to Chicago for All Out, uh, there are indie shows happening that same weekend in the same general area uh, and gcw is part of that so uh september 3rd and 4th there will be game changer wrestling shows in hoffman estates illinois just down the street from the all-out building um black label pro who i also do commentary for is also going to be a part of that and there will be a gcw war games match uh as part of the september 4th show that weekend that'll be broadcast on fight um it'll be team nick gage uh you know there's uh, Put me on the spot now to remember who all the guys are in the match, but it's Nick Gage, uh, Effie, uh, AJ Gray from uh, Tennessee, who's great hard hitting wrestler and tries to do like that 90s all Japan style of hard hitting, you know, great suplexes, has a brutal lariat in his repertoire. Uh, who else is on the team? Alex Cologne, who was one of the other big deathmatch guys. Um, and I'm forgetting who the last one is, but uh, it's five on five war games against Team Four Four O, Ricky Shane Page and his Ohio-based cronies, which includes you know some other deathmatch guys and some decent wrestlers as well. So it'll be in a cage. I'm sure they'll have weapons involved in the cage, unlike your typical war games of years past in other companies. But that's the big big thing on that show. But Nick Gage is involved in that war games match. So the question is. Who does Matt Cardona defend the GCW championship against on the undercard? That has not been revealed yet, so we'll have to see how that plays out. Is he going to refuse to defend? Who knows? Uh, that's what social media is for. <laughs> for everyone to find out. Hey, you, you, clearly, you clearly love wrestling. What are you proudest of? You've had a long career. Uh, I mean, I guess just the everything that Shimmer was able to do to contribute to helping change the perception of women's wrestling in North America over the past 15 years. Like it was always respected in Japan and to an extent, you know, before the late nineties, early two thousands attitude era in North America, it was also respected in the United States. But like once we got into that era where there was all those, you know, brawn panties matches and the, you know, the vat of pudding and all that nonsense. Uh, it took some rebuilding to change fans' expectations for how women were going to be uh, featured on a wrestling show. And I think that because we were able to help a lot of the independent talent in the early 2000s grow as athletes, fine-tune their game, uh, you know, get skilled enough to get tours internationally so they could get even better through, you know, Japan tours, going to Mexico, going to Europe. Um, It helped a lot of them get better in the ring and get signed and then move on in their career, be featured on television. And, you know, even though I'm not, I'm far from uh, rich as a result of uh, running shimmer for 16 years, uh, I guess the thing that I would take pri- the most pride in is that we were able to accomplish things through running our small independent wrestling show uh, in, in terms of helping the wrestlers' careers and kind of helping change the maybe even the outlook that other promotions might have on the idea of featuring women. Well, let, let, me, let me just bring this up very quickly. I, I know Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch and a few others are making good money, but isn't there a huge pay discrepancy between the major male stars and the major female stars? For the I most part, I don't. I mean, honestly, I don't. I don't. I don't look at their bank account statements, so <laughs> I have no idea. But um, 
I would think that in this day and age, it's probably very similar. Like, it depends on your position on the card. If you're Becky Lynch, you're making more money than a lot of the guys are. Because she was a main event, you know, WrestleMania main event type star. If you were Sasha Banks uh, these days, who just main evented a WrestleMania, I'm sure she's making very good money. Um, but if you're an undercard female wrestler in WWE right now, maybe you're not making that much money. But odds are the same, the guys at that same level on the card same level of being featured are probably making similar money. Um, so may, I mean, maybe there is, and I just don't know about the pay discrepancy, but I think at least at this stage, uh, their value to the overall show and whether they're going to be a draw, uh, means more in terms of what they're going to get paid than anything else, regardless of their gender. Let me ask you, Dave, if, uh, you, obviously you helped launch, you finessed, Pretty much everybody came through Shimmer stores, but just name some names. I'm not going to say or ask you name 10 names, but who would you like to have that's out there now? You know, even if it was somebody from, say, AEW that, you know, they would uh, allow you to use them. Who are some people you'd like to to have? Have uh, come back? Because <laughs> you did. I think you pretty much work I'll with take that. Becky Lynch. I'll take Bailey back. I'll take Sarah Del Rey out of retirement. <laughs> I'll, uh, I mean, there, there's so many that I would love to have back. Like the day that I found out that uh, Davina Rose Bailey got signed to a developmental was the same day that we did production on the previous weekend's set of shows. And just doing co post-production commentary on her match against Tomoka Nakagawa from Japan. Uh, I loved the match so much, and she did so well so early in her career that I was like, we can really build around this girl. Yeah, Davina Rose. We can get behind her. She's going to be really good. She just needs more experience. And then I found out later that day that she got the developmental, and I'm like, ah, well, good for her. <laughs> we don't have access to have her on, on our shows anymore, but now she's actually going to make real money and make a living in wrestling instead of making a few hundred dollars a weekend doing indies. So uh, you can't hold that against them, but... I mean, there's, I, there's so a, much I, talent I, out there. I would love to have have the ability to come back. But even if they got released and came back, they'd still want to get paid a little bit more than I can afford running a 300-seat Eagles club with $20 tickets. You know what I mean? Let me just quickly, Russ, before you say anything. Uh, I texted Pam Davina, uh, obviously Bailey, uh, who at, at the time when she, uh, her very first match, I reminded her when Melissa Coates died, and then she wrote online, you know, elaborate a really nice piece. That was her very first match. Evan and I were close to her, Evan especially, because uh, she was at your wedding, right, Ev? Yeah, she was at my wedding. Um, so, but she had told me when she started, I go, where'd that name come from? Because when she started and I shot all of her matches, she worked with uh, Gail Kim on Kirk White BTW shows. And, uh, oh, I can't think... Uh, uh, the one that's uh, part of that faction with Johnny Gargano, Johnny Johnny's wife. She she worked uh, with Candice LeRae. Yeah. yeah, Candice. She worked with her actually. I think on some uh, uh, PWG shows. But she had claimed that the Davina Rose, the two names came from her two grandmothers. I don't know if that's true. Okay. That. <laughs> Perhaps. And she used to have at least 25, 30 family members all <laughs> at her earliest shows for BTW. But um. Well, that helps every independent promotion when, when the yeah. talent brings their family. <laughs> it's good to have that support and extra tickets sold to pay for the show. All right, Russ. I, uh... yeah, no, I was going to say, I, I had the chance to, uh, to work with uh, Davina when she was just starting out in wrestling for charity up here in the Bay Area. And um, uh, I told her that she reminded me so much of Sarah Del Rey. So it's kind of interesting to see what a great pro she's turned out to be. I really thought she had that it factor and I, I was, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to work with one Hall of Fame woman's wrestler, but to work with technically three of them in cheerleader Melissa and Sarah Del Rey and Bailey. And then Sarah would go on to, to, to help teach her even further after she got signed. She became Sarah's student at the PC. So absolutely. You know, I told uh, Pam, uh, she had had X amount, maybe nine, ten matches with Kirk on these tiny little shows in Newark, you know, just uh, below. That's Oak. what she sent me on her demo tape. Yep. 
Yes. And but I then I was shooting. It was at the Oakland Coliseum. It was a, I don't know what a, a raw. It was TV live TV, and she's out there street teaming for Kirk. You know these little cars. <laughs> yeah. And I <laughs> That's go. flyers. <laughs> I go. You gotta get away from here, Jason Styles. Her trainer, original trainer, can only take you so far. You need to go to Shimmer or Shine. I said, you've got to get out of here or you're never going to go anywhere. And it wasn't me, but it was, I forget, uh, uh, the guy, the good brother, the tall guy, his wife was the one she teamed with her on a Amber O'Neill? Yeah. yeah. And Amber got her. Did Amber, was she the one that brought her to Shimmer or what uh, happened? That's what I heard. Actually, Serena Deeb was the one who really put, Davina Rose over to me initially as someone to uh, to give an opportunity to like she was like make sure you watch that demo when she sends it to you I'm like all right I will and so what, what we ended up actually doing was we made Davina Rose Serena Deeb's protege in storyline and they became a tag team and you know uh, it was it was Portia Perez and Nicole Matthews feuding with Serena Deeb on those shows and so they started picking on little Davina Rose and that helped lead lead to tag matches and that's what really helped establish the Davina Rose character so thankfully Serena came to me with that idea that's it's great to always have talent giving you ideas and uh, what matches Serena's had this year? She's sort of like, yeah, there's yeah. that contingent of NorCal women. I know they all live like around Houston now. Thunder Rosa, Rosa Negra, Holly did. They all came, I think they were all trained in NorCal. We would see them all the time, whether it was a Gabe Ramirez show or APW. They were on these things all the time. And then uh, we'd see them. They would go to some of the cauliflower alleys and wrestle on those cards. And boom, they were all gone. And now Thunder Rosa's <laughs> got her shows. But uh, you know, just impressive. But Serena Deem, as well as uh, Thunder Rosa, man, this year yeah. they've, they've been high profile, particularly on AEW and NWA. And it's it's good to see companies working together. The fact that uh, both of them had contracts with the NWA, but were also able to cut that deal with AEW to perform on AEW at the same time. It's good to see, like, wrestling is very different now than it was even four or five years ago where you're seeing more cooperation between some of these companies. You know, the fact that you're seeing some impact guys on AEW or you're seeing, you know, NWA women's title matches on AEW on the same show you might see an AEW women's title match. It's like, he doesn't care as long as it's a good, sh good match on the show. Why not feature the other company's title? You know, it helps give credibility to those wrestlers. And, you know, when their contracts expire, as I believe uh, Thunder Roses recently just did, and she just signed an AEW deal, you know, instantly their new signee is established with the audience because they had her defending the NWA title, you know, and in matches, even though she was contracted elsewhere. So it's it's an exciting time just to be a fan of wrestling, seeing all this crossover between companies and talent, talent wrestling everywhere. We never even had that in the territory days. And I should say, I didn't know we had a, we didn't have a second guest. Dave, are you okay on time? If we yeah, do? I'm good. I'm good. Whatever uh, you guys want. <laughs> it is. I don't think Ev, you know, you came a little bit after me, but uh, you know, me from the late '60s on, I'd never seen this stuff. Obviously, we had in the later '70s, we had the like superstar Graham and Backlund in Florida, and then in Winnipeg, Flair uh, Martell that I shot, and Flair Bockwinkel title versus title, but nothing like the stuff today. It almost I kind of am throwing it at least to uh, AEW and uh, NWA owners, Corgan and Khan. These are different promoters than events. They, they seem caring about the audience, the environment, all that stuff that I've seen forever in PWG, for example, with Excalibur and Super Dragon and their back office and talent. The, the promoters today just seem like uh, rich, but human beings as opposed to you know what we've had fed to us for a long long time With the exception of vince yeah. yes the let's 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 fire a hundred people during a pandemic what a lovely person <laughs> they're, they're let's make sure my kids don't lose a dollar but e know? even on the wwe side of things i mean they might not be working with aew and impact and stuff like that but they also do have small working relationships with like wxw in germany or progress wrestling in the uk where there are there's at least a loose affiliation with some other companies where you didn't really see that 
10 years ago from WWE even. I mean, they're not going to be working with, you know, New Japan Pro Wrestling like Tony Khan is with AEW. About a month ago, they threw that bullshit out. And that was maybe they of, maybe they tried, but I, I think Tony Khan had had other plans. Oh, and they did. WWE's yeah. had, or at least uh, Levesque has had that relationship with Gabe. Yeah. Evolve and evolve. Yeah, yeah. They had that connection as well. And and honestly, uh, they they worked to an extent with me on and Shimmer when they did the first May Young Classic as well. Uh, you know, they had me consult on that and you know license some footage from me for the bio videos for some of the talent. Uh, you know, before they would be seen seen in the ring in a match, they'd you know do a little video package mixed in with some interviews, and they use some shimmer clips. So I mean, that was it was good exposure for us in the process. So I mean, maybe they're not open to working as much working with other companies as much as you might see an AEW doing right now. But there is still some cooperation, and that's always a good thing to see in wrestling. I mean, right now the shimmer champion is Kimberly, who is under contract to Impact. And Impact doesn't have a problem with her being on shows for me, along with talent that happens to also work for AEW, along with some independent talent. And, you know, obviously Court doesn't object to having, you know, this, the same women that are featured on Shimmer also appear on MLW shows. So, it, you know, it's it's good for all of the talent, that's for sure, um, to be getting opportunities to be wrestling with different people. Did you see Kimber's new character, the look with the makeup on? The I third? saw I saw a picture. I haven't seen the actual footage yet. That was pretty but. crazy. Well, <laughs> uh, the uh, the one character yanked her into, I don't know what that room was, the cloakroom, and I guess did the makeover on her. The, <laughs> who has, she's like the Mick Foley of Impact. She has the three Sue Young, yes. She has a different different sides of Sue Young, yes. <laughs> like the three faces of Foley, the three... Uh, I thought when I saw the name the very first time years ago, and I don't know if she's worked for you, I go, wait, is that spelled S-U-E-Y-O-U-N-G? Oh, <laughs> no, it's an eight. S-U-Y-U-N-G, yes. Or so, Susan, or or the, <laughs> whatever her name might be this week. So. Dave, do you think, a few weeks ago we had um, a, a independent promoter, a lady, who was uh, our guest, and and she runs a, a federation down in Florida, and she indicated that there were about what did she say sixty seven? There's seventy four indies in Florida, not all. <laughs> I believe it's it. It's insane. There's and a lot. There, there's a lot of people that shouldn't be running shows too. So <laughs> I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, but do you think that there's ever going to be some sort of chance for? A re- kind of a resurgence of the regionalistic type wrestling where maybe some of these feds could somehow conglomerate together and assemble that talent and make themselves a viable region and, and state-based wrestling might come back into fashion again? I don't know. Like I'd like to see a something similar to the old NWA, but that requires that all of these people put egos aside and get along. And I don't see that happening. Like there's everybody wants to be the head of the, the head chef in the kitchen and they don't want to, you know, yield to someone else. So unfortunately I don't think that's going to happen. Would it be good for wrestling for it to? Absolutely. There shouldn't be 70 promotions. There should be maybe three Uh, and, you know, people working together, but because of egos and, the almighty dollar every you know how are we going to split the gate if we're all promoting together how much are we going to pay this person this person works for me for x amount of money well but they charge three times that much to work for this guy down the street because they're not friends with that guy like so what do you pay him if you co-promote a show good question it makes it very difficult we should probably let him go. I was going to ask some Rossi Ogawa questions because there used to be <laughs> right with him to shows. And I'll send you some photos of him with the big, huge, uh, it's like an afro that he had in 1990. And uh, uh, what a... Uh, I met Rossi a couple times the past couple of years when he came out and did uh, did some shows in the States. So he's doing so great with Stardom right now. I mean, yeah, so. that's that's without a doubt the, the top company in the world right now as far as women yeah so so not just uh, a shimmer but tell us uh, any other future projects that you and 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 not just uh uh grounds uh not ground zero um uh uh 
Game changer. <laughs> Game changer. Sorry, I we used to have a ground zero uh, uh, wrestling match here <laughs> in NorCal. So I, I, I um, like right now. Uh, right now, it's it's Shimmer that I'm focusing on. We still have we're still releasing footage. We still sell DVDs. We've got a streaming service up at streamshimmer.com, which has our back catalog of all the footage uh, to watch, even the the out of print. I mean, we only got a certain number of DVDs made when physical media was really popular. And once those were sold out, it was out of print and people couldn't see the shows. But you can go back and watch those on demand through a Roku device or Amazon Fire Stick or what have you uh, at streamshimmer.com. Um, I'm, I'm doing the Game Changer shows. Not all of them right now, but uh, I'll be doing those Chicago shows coming up. And then we're back in Atlantic City in uh, early October for another two days of shows at the Showboat. Um, Black Label Pro in Northern Indiana. Uh, they run Crown Point, and they're also going to be a part of that uh, all-out weekend in Chicago. I've uh, been working for them. And, of course, Major League Wrestling just joined them, and I'm going to be helping with their women's division and whatever else they have for me. And, uh, you know, they're running uh, the 11th of September. They're in Dallas. Uh, and then there's another TV taping in Philadelphia on October 2nd. And then MLW's in Chicago, November sixth. Uh, all Which of these you guys have come west. That's one thing is that a lot of these promotions don't make it out here to California. GCW stuck- does travel. Like they they have made like LA. I said, LA. I LA is this week. coming weekend. I'm right here. And the seventh is uh, I believe August seventh is uh, is the next time they're in LA, and there will be a return later in the year. Like they they do LA probably once every four months ish. But hey, uh, it's not exactly a, a, a hop, skip, and a jump from uh, San Francisco to Los Angeles. So the four oh five, I'll be right there. Yeah, but <laughs> if you if you guys, I'd love to have you guys, you know, do a show up in in Northern California. You know, if that was ever well, I, uh, Brett Lauderdale, who's the promoter, has shown over the years that he's willing to run wherever there is a need for bringing a show. He's willing to take the risk. Uh, they just did. Uh, I wasn't there, but they ran in Wyoming a couple of months ago. Uh, it, it was in like in a barn, literally. Like wrestlers were riding ponies and horses to the ring and stuff like that. Uh, Ricky Morton was on that show. Too Cold Scorpio was on that show. It, it, it was it was something to see. Uh, and they put that on Fight TV. All of the GCW stuff is on Fight TV. Uh, but he saw that. Ricky Morton, I I believe the reason for running that show, and this is the only reason that Brett rolled the dice and decided to book a show in the middle of nowhere in Wyoming and had to obviously trans all the talent in because nobody lives in Wyoming that's actually on the roster. It was because Ricky Morton said that he wrestled in all 50 states during his career at some point except Wyoming. Hmm. And so he wanted him to check that off on his bucket list. And so so Brett gave Ricky Morton that chance to finally wrestle in Wyoming. And, I mean, they drew maybe 225 people, something like that. So I don't know how much money they made. I mean, they probably made, made money on the show with Fight TV sales and everything, too, added to the gate. But it's good good to see that for Ricky Morton. You know, yeah, bring it in our cow. That we have caring human being type promoters instead of whatever – and Brett Lauderdale appears to be one of them. I really want to thank you because I know it was kind of last minute bugging you, Dave. Dave. I, want to, I want to point something else out before before the end of this. Uh, I save everything. I never throw things away. And uh, I, I, I have bins full of old sheets. Mike's newsletter. <laughs> Wrestling reality. My last this, this one in particular, I want, I want to point something out here as I thumb through it. Were you going to say something? <laughs> I was just going to say, were they okay? Because that was my last newsletter series. I did the Blassie Fan Club with a Rizzy, the last incarnation of it from about 71 on. And then I did the Tolis Brothers. And the first two guys to subscribe to my Tolis Brothers newsletter were Eddie Gilbert and Jim Cornette back in 72. I was always entertained by Dr. Mike Leno writing style, without a doubt. That's why when I was a high, sc- high school newsletter kid... Uh, when I was 16 years old, Mike was writing for me uh, for outside interference way back when. It was like 93-ish when I was in high school. Mike, um, has, like, Mike has like 103 word sentences. There were many- <laughs> yes. Yes. I love the, the, the proliferation of uses of like, emo- like little emojis before emojis were a thing on yeah. social media. But like, you know, you'd have the keep on trucking guy at the end of a paragraph or whatever. Yes. I loved that. But 
back when I've got to think when this was, it must've been around like 94, 95, probably 95. Oh, see, before uh, that, I think the first one was 93. Cause I had that yeah. three, one. Well, this one, this one here is 95, but what I, I was traveling, I believe this was when I went down to Nashville for, uh, to see a USWA show at the Nashville fairgrounds. And then, uh, that was the same week that Starcade was in Nashville. They, it was in December of 95 and on the plane, I had this just to look at whatever. And in the airport, uh, I saw when we were waiting for our flight, George Foreman was in the airport and I was like, Whoa, look, it's George Foreman over there. I got to I got to go meet the guy. I don't have a camera, you know, before cell phones and everything. So I didn't have a camera. But I got to get a signature. What do I have? The only thing I had to write on was wrestling reality. So yeah. George Foreman's wow. signature Jeez. is in the middle of a Mike Lano article here in wrestling reality forever immortalized. I would keep this and cherish this. You my 70s newsletter because you tell me what you think. I heard the Tolis <laughs> Brothers fan club. No articles on the Tolis Brothers, as Ev knows. I was covering all the territories, Japan, New Zealand, South Africa. Uh, I had 70 correspondents. Meltzer was one of them for Northern California results. I had five mm -hmm. in Japan. Koichi Yoshizawa was one of them. I'm going to send you this. You tell me if it doesn't look like a pre-observer from 1973. <laughs> uh, I've, got, I've got so many old newsletters that I that I never threw out from that era. And I actually made a trade. Uh, Jeff Zinger, if you remember him, uh, he, he was another big newsletter collector. He did that gag newsletter back in the day. I made a trade with him maybe seven years ago, six years ago, uh, the Shimmer DVD series for his newsletter collection. Cause he was just looking to get rid of, you know, he was, he was downscaling, maybe he was moving or something, didn't have room for boxes of newsletters. And I'm like, I'll take them. The stuff that I didn't have, why not? So I, I amassed the Jeff Zinger collection and one of my referees, PJ Drummond, is a big, uh, you know, wrestling historian. And so he's borrowed them and he's scanning them just to turn them into PDFs so he doesn't need to have bins full of physical newsletters anymore. So I think we, we found all but between my stuff and what Jeff Zinger had, all but one issue of wrestling reality we found. We didn't have quite as many wrestling then and nows, but there were some of them in the batch that, he, that he's, he's slowly scanning probably over Remember the next how they were divisioned out there was uh uh it was arena or chair shots became arena and then the arena, arena was first and then when when lemieux folded it then uh barry rose took over and it became chair shots but then we had like three strictly comedy ones shinonomaki post which scott hudson and, and scott hudson john horton uh who was craig johnson in gwf and uh stephen prazak my long lost cousin not really, but uh, those are the three that did that. And then uh, Jeff Mullins did sushi. He was in San Jose. Nobody's, he's like totally AWOL. Nobody's been able to find the really guy. Really fell off the face of the earth. I haven't, yeah, I haven't heard from him. And I, I posted something. There's a there's a Facebook group that I think Jeff Bowdrin and Barry Rose run. I was like, has anybody heard from Jeff Mullins in years? And nobody had any answer for me. You so. remember though, uh, uh, Ev, what was that one you and I did? Cassette Wrestling News. It was Jeff Osborne. Jeff Osborne, who became yeah, yeah, a, yeah. an MMA promoter. Yeah. He, he, he so ran Hook and Shoot in Evansville. Yeah, Hook and Shoot at AOL.com is his email. But <laughs> he, uh, Evan and I wasn't really writing. We all would send in audio cassettes audio. of our report. And it was on it. He would conglomerate all of these cassettes into one. And each issue was a physical cassette you'd listen to. It was like yeah. early podcast. <laughs> From 92. It was the precursor of Legends Radio and of, and of this as well. So. Very good. Well, we really loved having you on as a guest, Dave. We Hang really... up some fog, Dave. Dave Prezak, of course, Mr. Everything in Wrestling, Shimmer, Ring of Honor, MLW, etc. Uh, Any I, other? I, I, my social media, everything's Dave Prezak, so just do a search. That's my Twitter handle and everything. Shimmer Women is the Shimmer Twitter, so anybody who wants to follow what we're doing, any updates on Shimmer, we post on, on our Twitter, and just do a Facebook search, too. We're on there. We're on Instagram. Uh, just keep supporting independent wrestling. Small-time wrestling needs needs the fans' dollars. There's so much wrestling to watch these days. Free wrestling on television. The indies really need to do something to capture the wrestling fans attention 
you know, why why should I spend money and watch indies when I can watch up to 20 hours of free television from all of these companies if I want to? Well, there's there are things that, that the indies can offer you that you don't necessarily see on TV. I agree. Uh, last weekend with the GCW, again, the talk of the world, and it busted open, opens their show with it Monday with Bully Ray Dudley. You, uh, you let, me, let, me, let me bring this full circle. I was at the Elks Lodge in Queens, you know, where ECW ran, mm-hmm. and who's, who's wrestling there? This, this had to be like 15 years ago. Bray Wyatt in his last indie match. Really? And all the wrestlers are, are like on the mic wishing him well because he, he was just about to go to WWE. So you don't know who you're going to see on an indie show. Yeah. And so, of course, and go out and go. I used to take um, my best friend's nephew and his little buddies. We'd go to all indie shows. they meet the wrestlers, take photos, get autographs. You know, you're not going to experience that in a big arena event. So you have that, that personal connection with the talent, where you can actually meet them and get your picture taken, and and physically hand them a five dollar bill for their eight by ten. You know, there you don't have that level of interaction with the major companies. And you know, the uh, November 2019 Shimmer Weekend, our fans saw a very similar thing with what you just described with Bray Wyatt at that Elks Lodge show, uh, with Shotzi Blackheart, where we said farewell to her she had her last match there was everybody had these green green little green balls like wiffle balls threw them at her in the ring and it was a great moment to send her off and now she's making money and she's on tv so a norcal NorCal girl i shot her first match too shotzi okay cool (laughs) anyway it's great to have you on we'd love to have you on in the future especially if you've got other stuff to promote so make sure sure you uh keep us in the loop and and uh Send some other, you know, if you've got any talent you want to have on our show, you can send them our way, too. We'd love to interview them. Will do. It's been fun, guys. Thank you very much. Good night, everybody. Thanks for all you've done for the business, Dave. Seriously. Thank Thank you, Evan.